In order to support our show, we'll need the help of some great advertisers. And in order to find great advertisers, we'll need to learn a little bit more about you. So please go to podsurvey.com slash reddick and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can choose to enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash reddick, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y.com slash R-E-D-I-C-K. Thanks for your help. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick podcast. I feel like I've done a few basketball podcasts uh, in the last couple of weeks, so I wanted to mix it up. First time having a musician on the podcast. Dermot Kennedy is an Irish singer songwriter. He was uh, NPR Slingshot's 2018 Best New Artist of the Year. Um, he's got a studio album coming out at a later date to be determined sometime in. Uh, the fall of 2019 and he's currently recording that album in brooklyn i got a little intel about a month ago that he was going to be in williamsburg for the next couple months uh recording his album reached out and we met for coffee about a month ago and have been trying to get him uh to sit down with me and we got it done uh this morning so really excited for you guys to hear this conversation it was a lot of fun without any further ado my conversation with uh musician dermot kennedy Dermot, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. Really appreciate the time. No, thank you for having me. Congratulations are in order because last time we we talked was about a month ago over coffee. Mm-hmm. And in that time period, um, you now have a Wikipedia page. Yeah, I actually saw that the other day. Yeah. Is it good? Oh, it's great. Is it good? It's yeah. still a little light on the information. Right. But at least they have like early life. There is some background on your early life. So congrats on that. And by the way, for the listener... Similar to the the podcast two weeks ago with Chris Paul, there will be construction noise in the background. <laughs> yeah, no, just, I just heard it for like two seconds. We did like a German radio tour and every single radio DJ promised me they'd make one and then no one did. And so uh, finally someone I think got around to it. It definitely wasn't me though, because it probably seems like it was me. Well, I, I, there are people that make their own Wikipedia pages and then there's people that probably edit their own Wikipedia pages. Yeah, I used to edit other people's back in the day for a laugh when i had nothing to do like uh, like you can change and then you just get an email from wikipedia asking you to never do it again um but i used to do it all the time Uh, when i was in college people would edit my wikipedia page and write the most ridiculous things oh it was probably mean was it it was so mean and my older sister i don't know if she was like a frequent visitor my wikipedia page but somehow she would always catch it yeah yeah, yeah. and then she'd tell me and be like oh, no way she kind of had your somebody's back. saying you're having sex with cows again just the most ridiculous things <laughs> yeah, yeah all true <laughs> yeah right I, I need a little background i need to provide a little background so my trainer in new york is this uh very nice gentleman named john madonia and he is a big fan of non-us english-speaking singer-songwriters okay and uh maybe last spring or sometime this summer he sent me uh, a Spotify link to one of your songs. Right. And um, 
he didn't know at the time that I didn't have a Spotify account, so I did not listen to it. But then sometime this fall, I set up Spotify and I came across Glory, mm. uh, one of your songs, just through a you know random sort of recommendation. But I have to give credit to John Madonia. But what I was gonna I was gonna say was there's this phrasing that people use whenever they hear a new musician. Oh, okay. Or like find a new restaurant. And yeah, it's this so word discover. Like oh, I discovered yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. someone. I see that sometimes. <laughs> and it drives me crazy. I have the same kind of cynical <laughs> reaction sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, people are like, send me something and say, I just discovered you. Wow. Got, <laughs> what a great moment for me. <laughs> nah, that is like, that is the extra cynical side of me. But yeah, it's it's funny. Um, people often say that. But I guess people are kind of discovering it all the time. I mean, in a, in a way, when you find something for the first time that is discovering, but like A&R, I would assume, yeah. is the is sort of the, the... Yeah, fair enough. That's who discovers an artist. Yeah. And like people say, like, I discovered this new restaurant. Well, yeah. the, the the person who owns the just, restaurant has to go to, sign a lease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to hire people. In the door, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's just weird. It's just <laughs> weird. Because your Wikipedia page is so light on details. Okay. Uh, just provide a little bit of background and sort of how you got into music. I know that you grew up in a normal household. Yes. Yeah. Uh, outside Dublin, Ireland, and you played football, mm -hmm. soccer, as yes, we call it, uh, yeah. growing up. And then you're you're now a you know, you're a musician by trade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it kind of like, it was kind of like that. I, I started playing music when I was 11, I think, or 10 or 11, because uh, because my cousin played. And I just kind of wanted to be like him and to do what I had seen him do at like family parties a bunch of times. And I just wanted to be able to do that. And so that's why I kind of got a guitar. And then slowly I started to become obsessed with singer-songwriters like David Gray and Ray LaMontagne and stuff. But the whole time, from the age of maybe 11 to 15, I would say, I wasn't like, I wasn't super serious about it. I didn't really know what part of me was kind of being sort of triggered by playing music, I, I, which is weird because like most of my focus was like, yeah, playing sport. And that was kind of it in my mind. And so, but then I could tell I had this weird connection to playing music. And so I, it took a long time to figure it out. But uh, yeah, around 16, I started playing some gigs in town. I'd play open mics. My dad would bring me in. And uh, yeah, I didn't instantly realize I was obsessed with music and that I I, I absolutely had to be around music. And I, I it wasn't a scenario where I like played on a stage for the first time and felt like at peace. It was more that I had these songs that I had to sing and, and it felt, it just felt really natural to sort of like put all these words down and just sing them. And um, I guess from the age of 16 to... 18 i just became more obsessed with things and kind of realized it was what i wanted to do yeah so like 16 on is when you started actually writing music properly you, yeah, yeah properly yeah. when you were going to these open mics how nerve-wracking was this and what, what what were you saying you're saying i assume you're singing other people's songs uh, covering songs i would sing some covers but i had my own stuff by then too and it's funny because there was maybe there was times when there was like 15 people there and even these days that'll be the most kind of nerve-wracking way to do things because if you get up into the thousands you can't really see faces anymore so sometimes the most nerve especially these days because everyone expects me to be really good because it's my job but uh like back then i i was nervous but also because i hadn't yet decided it was what i want to do for a career i didn't put that much pressure on it like we had a day in school once when uh the president came in and everyone was really nervous because there was like certain 
kids in school that were going to sing for the president. And I, I was like, no one would go first. And I went first because I just, I didn't place too much importance on me singing at all, which is probably a good thing because it maybe took ego out of things for the first few years. I guess the closest thing I can think of is, is public speaking. Which I, I hate. You know, I because like when, we, when we have a game, generally speaking, there are thousands of people. Of course. And you, you just get kind of lost in the moment and you're not, you don't feel like you're like performing really? for like one person or two people. Like yeah. you just, it's just part of the, it's like foliage in the background. It's really? like part of the landscape. You just kind of, as soon as the game starts, it's just off. I wonder if you have the same kind of experience now when you perform in front of a big crowd. No, because for me, <laughs> it's like, I guess maybe a tiny difference is like, if you can zone out completely and do what you do. And if everyone on your team does that, then everyone who's watching will be happy, right? But but for me, it's like, I kind of have to interact with everyone that's there, you know what I mean? And I guess it, like similar things apply. Like if I just completely zoned out and and focused on my task and did it perfectly, everyone will be happy. But yeah, I'm very aware of the people there. I guess you inherently have to engage with the people at the show, right? In between songs. Yeah. Do you make eye contact with people yeah, while you're singing? There. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I really do. Yeah. I, and I can't I'm, imagine just like walking over in the in the middle of the game, like in between plays and <laughs> yeah, being like, hey, how are you? Yeah, you good. Know, thanks for coming tonight. tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. And there'll be like five or six people that I kind of return to for some reason. I never know why. And um, I'm always kind of curious to see like if I do a certain thing, if they react or if they don't react. The worst is when you're doing something that's so difficult. Like if you're singing a certain part that like wrecks you every night and, and often you'll see people like yawning <laughs> and, and it's, it breaks your heart because you're trying to do. But I mean, we're starting to kind of get into venues where that won't be as easy. You know what I mean? It won't necessarily be as intimate. And so that might change. Yeah. Yeah. Because like... We're playing Brixton Academy in London and I've played there before supporting Lana Del Rey. And um, yeah, it's like that. Like you can see the first couple of rows, but past that it's just, you know, there's 5,000 people there, but it's like, you can't actually see anybody. Other than like, uh, I know you played, I'm going to ask you about the music festivals in a second, but Mm -hmm. other than the music festivals, like what's the, what's the biggest crowd you've played in front of? Probably that, I think. Like if it's packed into a room, it's probably that. Yeah. yeah Which is cool because that was supporting Lana and and now in May we're playing there and it's sold out, which is crazy. You're like the headliner. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good for yeah. you, man. It's a crazy venue. Good for you. Um, do you have at this stage, do you have do you have groupies? Nah. The Uber guy asked me that in the way here and I said no. <laughs> Wait, nah. so how did this you told the Uber guy that you're a musician? Yeah, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Or did yeah. he recognize you? <laughs> yeah, no, he was just like, <laughs> just out of nowhere. He was like, I'm an accountant. <laughs> he was like, Do you have groupies? He got in that? the back seat and he's like, Hey, do you have groupies? Yeah, we really don't. It's like, it's just, it's not like that. I, th- I think those times might have passed. Maybe. Uh... We'll see. <laughs> it depends on your genre too. We'll see in like six to twelve months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It completely depends. Well, I was going to ask you what the weirdest thing a fan has ever done, but since you don't have groupies, I guess there's nothing out there. <clears throat> I don't know. You get like things that are like a little bit weird constantly, but I don't know if anything's happened yet that's been like all out bananas. It's been fine, and also, like I was saying, it's at a point where if I said something, someone could hear it and know I'm talking about them, <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah. It's very specific interactions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then things but, that were maybe weird to me that wasn't weird to the person that did it. Sure. 
By the way, uh, that's uh, Lucy in the background, Sorry, yeah. your cousin, um, yeah. who is um, photographing yes. everything you do yep. right now. Uh-huh. And this is, uh, the label is requiring this or this is your own sort of uh, thing? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely essential because I'm bad at social media and stuff. And uh, yeah, I guess the label want me to exist more in the world and be, you know, <laughs> out there. It's funny though, because I've been here for a bit and that was like a, their concern that I would vanish for two months. And it, which is weird because this day and age, you just can't really do that. You know, you got to be kind of out and about all the time. I, sh- I should mention that you are in Brooklyn right now yeah. recording a studio album. Yeah. That Debut. will be out. In. <laughs> in, in I, I mean, probably in and around September. Oh, man. See, that, we, we got to change the Wikipedia page. Oh, really? Because it says summer 2019. I probably said that at some point. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I'm lying all the time, yeah. Uh, when, when was the decision sort of made, or not that maybe not decision, because I, I guess these things sort of happen organically, where you were just kind of like, I'm going to go for this. Yeah, I, I talk about that sometimes. I, I don't know if there was like one moment where I actually made the choice. I, I just, I kind of realized it was what I wanted to do from, yeah, like 17, 18. And I had a couple of jobs that were just kind of buying me time and maybe make a small bit of money just so I can keep doing that. And then playing music in the street was huge for me because that meant I could just focus fully on the music I wanted to do. And you can like choose your own hours and and you could do it like one day a week and you'd be fine. And like, I was very lucky in the way things were like, my mom and dad were never like, ah, I probably won't work out though. You got to get a normal job. It was just supportive all the way. And, um, and so, yeah, as long as I could like, could like make a little bit of money playing in the street, then I was fine. And I just kind of knew it would happen eventually. I mean, I'm 10 years doing it now and it took a long time for me to see any kind of traction at all. But the most important thing is you've always got the songs. So if you're proud of what you're doing, not in a cheesy way, but like nothing can really hold you back from doing it. You know what I mean? Like you can always put on your own show in your hometown and, and some people will go like, and, and, and if you haven't experienced anything bigger, it's fulfilling. Like uh, for years, that was what I did. And, and it's just the best way to do it. And just don't stop because you'll get a chance eventually. Like you hear about say bands like Elbow and Snow Patrol and, and like you see Snow Patrol kind of, get huge off like chasing cars and stuff, but they've been around for so long before that, you know, it's like a long time for a lot of acts. I mean, I I guess things are changing and and for some people it can actually be an actual overnight thing. But, um, but yeah, as long as you have the songs, you just got to keep at it. You got to be at a point where if it didn't work, you'd still do it, I guess. Right. You have to just basically go all in. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's no other way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, sort of held out a long time before you started working with the label though, right? And so yeah. you're, this is your first studio album. I know that maybe you were hesitant because of certain things with working with the label, but in terms of, you know, your own sort of artistic control, autonomy, um, that sort of thing, is there is there challenges as you've sort of experienced these last uh, several months working with the label? No, it's all good. I'm really, because we waited so long before we did a deal, I'm really lucky with the one we have. And it's like, because I know of people who've like written their favorite song they've ever had and the label will be like, it's not in the album. And then they'll contest that and, and sort of try and fight its corner and say, but it's, it's kind of my favorite thing that I have. And then you can go back and forth. But when it comes down to it, the label, will be like, yeah, well, like in the contract, it says we say no and it doesn't exist. So I know there's deals like that all over the place. And thankfully I don't have one. And um, I'm in a position where if I'm passionate about a song, it, 
will be on the album, um, which is great because I know that's not often the case. It's been good. Like one thing that kind of that I loved to see with Chance the Rapper was he off his album. Anytime he did a TV appearance, he played a different song off the album. And so he ended up playing nearly the whole album on TV on different shows. And uh, with my song Power Over Me, it's like this focus track and so i knew when we got tv things it wasn't even a discussion it was like that's the one you're playing which kind of messed with me slightly because i just like to do whatever i want to do but i get it too like you're trying to break out into the world and so you gotta sort of force feed people that one song <laughs> I, I i do i think we talked about this when we had coffee but there is some some level of disconnect between like an artist's favorite song and like a diehard fan of that artist and what their favorite song might be. Yeah. You said Moments Past is your favorite song? Probably, yeah. But how many of your fans would say that's their favorite song? Probably a good few, but but also no, you're you're totally right. It's like, yeah, I think it's often the case that that an artist's biggest song isn't necessarily their favorite. I'm proud of it, don't get me wrong. It's just it's not my favorite by any means. Uh, you're just talking about power over me. Yeah. It's a good live moment too. I went back and forth for a long time because I've had like 10 years to think about this and, <laughs> and to prepare for that moment. And uh, and so when it showed up, I, I debated it a lot in my head and I argued and argued. But like, I've been proven wrong in a sense because it's like I, I, I got the song to a point where I was proud of it and, and it's come out and it's done an awful lot for me. And it hasn't tainted what I do which is what I was most afraid of. So uh, that's a good thing. Which late night shows, or I assume TV shows, like what, what have you done? We did cover okay. late night and then the Ellen show is on today actually, which is kind of... Oh, fantastic. Yeah, which is pretty um, pretty big and also proves that I'm not doing it today. <laughs> yeah, I did it a few weeks ago. It's not live. No. It's not live. No, no, no. So Power Over Me on Spotify has... 43 million is it? listen and then i looked last week and it was like 36 yeah it's crazy it's very popular after rain has 56 million see and you yourself have uh 8.1 i'm gonna round up 8.2 monthly listeners <laughs> thank you thank <laughs> that's what i do uh <laughs> i feel like when i started listening to you though you were at like 2.1 yeah like, it's that song like that's what yeah. it does you know and and that's why i went back and forth for so long i wanted all the other songs that weren't like super singly to to like take me to a certain point before doing that and one thing that feels really great is to be doing live shows and everybody sings every song yeah which is the best part because i know then people are getting involved with the whole catalog which is what it's all about because i mean i work hard on every song so like i i know of people who have these like just breakout hits and then they ride that wave because like what else are you gonna do like it feels great and it's becoming a big deal and then they do shows and people will talk for the whole gig and then you play that song and they go bananas and then go home and you've still got three songs left i know that happens and thankfully i've got gigs where um where people are kind of with me for the whole thing which is beautiful but i mean it didn't happen by accident it took my time i told you this when we had coffee and i don't i want to tell you this again and no, no. please don't take offense to it but um <laughs> you know there you're not necessarily a household name yeah, yeah. but you clearly have a, a very strong base a strong yeah. following and uh. and i i feel like you know you're essentially about to blow up you know and so i would assume there's some level of that with you too like where you feel like you're sort of on the cusp or on the brink and that's a that's got to be 
obviously an exciting moment in your mm-hmm. life, but it's it may be scary, uh, maybe leads to anxiety. I don't know. Oh like, yeah, like yeah. what what sort of during this time period? Obviously, with the recording of the album and, mm-hmm. and sort of watching these numbers sort of explode yeah. on on a platform like Spotify. Yeah, yeah. There's so many different sort of aspects to it. So like, even though it does kind of blow up and like. It just, it's quite gradual. It does happen over time. And so like you are kind of exposed to it gradually and and it is sort of okay to keep track of and it's not too drastic at any stage. But yeah, it's kind of weird because like we're going to play to 5,000 people in London and it's sold out way in advance. And it's the same venue that say Georgia Smith played. But like if she walked around London she wouldn't have a second to herself. You know what I mean? Whereas I can go wherever and no one really says anything to me, which is... uh, For now. Yeah, for now, which is amazing. But it's just this weird kind of secret thing where we play these really big shows and and there is actually quite a large amount of people who are like sort of connecting to my music and are involved. But for some, it's still this kind of secret thing. Yeah, yeah. Who knows at what point will it like cross over? But I don't think about it too much because I can't even picture what's what that's like i mean i want the music to blow up as much as it can but yeah i'm not trying to be a celebrity necessarily all right we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor it's time we treated ourselves to higher quality underwear because we deserve better that's what Saks underwear is all about Saks underwear feels good provides support and leaves us feeling fresh It's the only men's underwear specifically designed with our anatomy in mind. Saks Underwear's patented ballpark pouch is a game changer. I'm wearing their underwear right now and I can attest to the ballpark pouch. It has internal mesh panels that keep everything in place so you can move around freely in total comfort with the ultimate support. Saks is made with super soft, moisture-wicking fabrics that really breathe and repel BO. Saks is the underwear that we deserve. I, like I said, I'm currently wearing Saks underwear right now. My favorite version of their underwear is the Vibe. It's so comfortable. You could wear them every day, which I'm doing right now. You can try Saks underwear today with this great limited time deal. Get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase when you use promo code Reddick at checkout. Order a few pairs of Saks at saxxunderwear.com. That's Saks with two X's. And use the promo code Reddick, R-E-D-I-C-K, at checkout. SaxUnderwear.com, promo code Reddick. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care, some shave their head, some embrace hats, but what they don't know is that there are FDA-approved medications designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our sponsor, Roman. Roman makes it easy to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash Reddick, your online visit is free. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician through their secure online platform. No awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in the waiting room. Once your doctor ensures that treatment will be safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping in discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, starting treatment early is key, and Roman can help. And today, Roman is giving the JJ Reddick Podcast listeners a free online visit at GetRoman.com slash Reddick. That's G-E-T-R-O-M-A-N dot com slash Reddick, R-E-D-I-C-K, for a free visit to get started. Go to GetRoman.com slash Reddick. 
And now back to my conversation with Dermot Kennedy. I was going to ask you, yeah. like, how much of your motivation is fame? You know, we all are motivated in some ways by incentive and so money or, you know, the sort of the trappings that come with mm -hmm. being a su su successful artist. And how much of that is just what you mentioned earlier and just sort of the authenticity of, of your music and, and your writing? Fame and, and all that kind of stuff has never come into it. It just can't. I feel almost like full of it when I say that because I feel I feel like it just sounds like I know it's the thing I'm supposed to say, but it genuinely is true. It's like, it's always just been about the music. I admire artists who, I've always only ever looked up to artists who are that way and who have had like massive amounts of success, but just seem to not really care too much. And, and I just, yeah, I, I think. I think if that, level of stuff ever does come to me i'll just kind of quickly realize it's not for me you know i just i am sure. kind of foreseeing that moment where if things are crazy i'll just realize i'm not part of that sort of gang who are those artists that that you admire for sort of just making the making the art making the music and not worrying about yeah. the other stuff yeah like say justin vernon from bonnie Vare. he uh he's like he's a massive role model to me and and i basically it's such a crazy career model that I think is just unfollowable because it's just this thing where, and, I, and I've mentioned it so many times, like in meetings with labels when I was thinking about doing a deal and all that kind of stuff. And I'd mentioned them, but it just seems to be this anomaly where like he's playing to 15,000 people in Ireland and the room is dead silent and, and they didn't put a poster up around town. They weren't on the radio. Like it's just this, crazy organic thing and i mean i guess it all stemmed from the music it was just some of the best music that had come out in a really long time and it was completely unique so this really beautiful thing happened but um but i think the thing is he probably didn't care if it went huge or if it stayed small so i mean he was able to just focus on the music the whole time and i mean i don't know to me in my mind uh, he's hugely successful like has two grammys but like wasn't going to go to the grammys you know what i mean that kind of guy i sure. mean i'll definitely go if i get one yeah and <laughs> <laughs> you'll definitely go yeah. that's good let's talk about your music specifically so what how would you describe uh sort of your style or, mm. or genre um in your in your own mind because obviously people who listen to your music can sort of describe it one way yeah but in your mind how would you describe it one thing that's kind of cool is that when i got into the uber coming here it was like it was all hip-hop and then he he eventually found out what I do and he started looking it up instantly. He put on a couple of songs and he didn't hate it. But it's that type of thing. It's like so it is, I know it's singer-songwriter. That's what it is. And and like I write my songs on a guitar most of the time or on a piano. So that's where they sort of are born. But then there's this tiny sort of like hopefully tasteful element of like hip-hop production that comes into it sometimes. And so I feel like I'm kinda 75% acoustic singer-songwriter with like these weird kind of influences that kind of show up every now and then. There's, I'll never leave the acoustic thing behind though. I think it's a beautiful thing. There is definitely some some hip-hop and rap, yeah. rap influence. Yeah, you were saying about I mean, even just the way I kind of sing. And yeah, stuff. like I got that right away with Glory. The yeah. Way, the way you sort of delivering the verses. Yeah, and there's like weird little sampled vocals. And I sure. remember when we made it, I, I kind of referenced what Kendrick does in terms of he has so many different like voices and tones that are like scattered around the place. Yeah. Who are your uh, two or three favorite rappers of all time? 50 Cent. I was listening to 50 Cent last night. 50 <laughs> yeah, Cent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I moved to New York. I was listening to that song, Horses Ambition. It's so good. It is so good. 
It's like I write lyrics for a job. And so many people kind of see hip hop as like fun music and it's got this like production that's really big and like good for parties and stuff. But like the lyrics are just crazy to me. I think it's incredible. <laughs> like I'm not I know it's not like Yates or like actual poetry, but like the just the skill involved to me is nuts. When it comes to Drake, it's like everything say stuff that only goes out on youtube like the 5am in toronto and kind of unreleased stuff and then his album tracks like like i'm not necessarily as attached to like one dance and st- and, and those things that are like these hits these like giant hits around the time when he kind of said he was a pop artist that's not necessarily my favorite stuff of his but like his album stuff that's like more lyrical and at times more aggressive i think he's like incredible and then in keeping with what we were saying about like people who kind of don't take part in the whole circus of everything. I think J Cole is incredible too. Yeah. yeah. For, for modern day, J Cole is totally. Is yeah. Because it's like, cause he's up there and above so many other artists, like when it comes to the stupid stuff, like stats and charting and all that kind of stuff. And then in the meantime, he's just, he doesn't take part, you know? Yeah. And he just kinda, like shows up every now and then and shows that he's better than everybody, which I think is crazy. How old you were? You're born in 1992. 91. 91. Yeah. So you were like a, you were like 11 when like 50 Cent was like really popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my uh, what, were, what were they playing on the air, airwaves in Ireland? Yeah, because there wasn't that. really streaming music. My mom like was that. great though. She loves 50 yeah. Cent. Yeah, she <laughs> was great. always like it was on in the car all the time. And then there was certain songs that I knew I shouldn't play because it'll just be awkward. Because he has some really like, <laughs> Race, racy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He does have stuff like that. And um, yeah, it was my friend Ro. His brother had 50 Cent's album in the house. And so uh, and so we put it on. And, and yeah, it's a very strange thing. I just realized instantly that it, 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 it sort of connected with me. That's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. As an Irish singer-songwriter, you know. Yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I literally, that was probably the last person that I thought you were going to say. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's like, I think you can almost sense the ambition in it, you know? Yeah. You can like sense the hunger and the drive that that person has and the lyrics. And, and yeah, I just, I don't think it's all that different from when you watch Glenn Hansard and he like puts the head down and lays into his guitar. I, don't, I, I think there's a lot of similarities. One of the things that I really like about your music, and I think prior to your Wikipedia page, I went on your uh, website mm. and I think it actually says this, but it's something about like a case study in extremes. And oh, really? Yeah, I think that is on That's your website. Cool. I'm not making that up. No, of course. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a, um, there's sort of a duality to your music that uh, it's simultaneously a little dark mm-hmm. and a little hopeful. And I, yeah. love, and I love that. I think the hope maybe shows up in the lyrics. Yeah. Because I was in the studio yesterday and, and, Anytime things get major chord-wise and get a bit too sort of bright, I think whatever I love about music switches off slightly. I think I love slightly darker stuff. And you can you can like play with that hopeful side of things and be a bit sort of more optimistic lyrically and even in your vocals. But yeah, I think I think the darkness maybe comes in the production, which is important for me now too, because it's like, especially like I was talking about earlier, the way you kind of need these songs that are like your focus tracks that that like take you up the gears basically um, in the industry. This is, this is an awfully clinical way to talk. But like, but 
the way you do need those songs. And, and for the most part, if you're trying to connect with the masses, it's like, it's not going to be with like a super dark song that you love. That's like mega brooding and, and, and like, and, and that kind of world. So uh, I'm trying to kind of toe the line the whole time. But yeah, I think what happens with me often in the lyrics specifically, is like, I'll go from, I struggle when people ask me what songs are about, because it's like one line can be about the worst thing ever. And then one line can be about the best thing ever. And, and it just goes back and forth. And I don't necessarily try to like have a thread of consistency which doesn't necessarily work in my favor but uh it's kind of cool to see when i'm done with a song because you can like play with these opposites the whole time and realize that it actually is strangely cohesive at the end it's like there's the same values kind of run through both things whether it's love you're talking about whether it's loss whether it's grief or whatever it's it, it, they do kind of work together it's strange sometimes you just need words to rhyme sometimes there's really just that's yeah. as simple as that i was once a horrible poet and, uh, and a, oh, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. horrible um i don't want to say i was a horrible rapper but um i wrote lyrics i wrote rap lyrics and recorded some songs no on way. a laptop in who college who, who was inspiring you? oh well like nas yeah. uh tupac for sure talib kwali maybe i heard um, stuff man like Conscious rappers, yeah, you know, common. Yeah. Maybe you've heard my stuff. You haven't heard my stuff. <laughs> uh, but I'm actually I'm proud to say I'm a, I'm a published poet. Does it exist? Does the oh, you can music find exist? it. The music does not exist. Oh, I think okay. my buddy has it somewhere on a hard drive. Um, okay. I don't know where he lives anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had one copy and I accidentally threw it away. Actually, in this building. Yeah. I threw it away in this building. Wow. Accidentally. So, oh, you accidentally. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean That's to. That's what you tell me. Um, you have and, poetry, though, actually? Yeah. it's But I, what I was going to say was um, when I was writing poetry, this was you know, pretty much all through high school and, and college. And, you know, a lot of it was as I was going through things and maturing and sort of getting out of the bubble that I grew up in and, you know, becoming an adult and oh, yeah. you start experiencing feelings and thoughts that you're like, whoa, I've never sort of, what is this? And you have to sort of process that. And like, for me, I like to process things internally. And so it's sort of, you know, you, you reflect and you put stuff down on paper and, mm -hmm. um, and I'm just, I'm curious, uh, because I am sort of, I don't look not to fanboy you, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moved by your music and, and a lot of that is the lyrics. And yeah. so where does, where does that sort of inspiration to write come from and and what are sort of the mm -hmm. things that are driving um these moods that come across in your lyrics yeah i mean i i think about it all the time and i guess like even again like on the way here the guy was like what's that song about and, and i kind of obviously i didn't want to get into it with the uber driver but I, I i was just like it's kind of everything you you draw on everything i mean maybe i'm kind of lucky that I've had uh, a good life in terms of like inspiring songs. Like I know, like I've got lines in my songs that sort of relate back to when I was 11 and 12. Like I had a really, I still do have a very, very close knit group of friends who, and we, I mean, we had like some of the most beautiful times, like, cause we all lived in the middle of nowhere. So we'd cycle everywhere. So I have this really beautiful kind of like sepia toned, like, image of those times and and then yeah in later life like i just uh, i've had some experiences that are just great to draw on for songs i think i think a lot of things have kind of fallen into place so that if anything comes out of me it's just kind of for real because i've never kind of been part of a music scene i've never 
I've never even really hung around with other artists. I've never done that. And so I've never done it just to do it. I've never felt compelled to just like put out songs because I thought I should. I've always only done it because I felt certain things within me that I really, really needed to express. And and that makes it sound more epic than it is. But it's like, it's just every now and then a song would kind of fall out of me. And, and uh, thankfully, like, yeah, because I... I, I Grew up in the middle of nowhere, so I'd be around there. All I was kind of thinking about was playing football. And and so there was no thing of me like, I need to get this song finished. And it needs to be like less like David Gray and more like this artist. I never had any thought that wasn't about the song, uh, which is, which is I'm really lucky. And in terms of like just the way things were set up for me, I just, I didn't think about anything other than that. It was this beautiful way for me to kind of just focus completely without even knowing I was. And uh with the lyrics, yeah, it's just, it, it's like, it's driven me crazy at times in the last couple of years because that's been the time where people have started to actually care what I put out. And lyrics are huge for everybody who kind of connects to my music. It's often the focal point for a lot of people. And um, I put a lot of pressure on myself to kind of be the best at that. And yeah, and and to just kind of, and, and it's a weird thing because obviously it's a, process in terms of your thoughts and your feelings and stuff and and so you're going to do your best work if it's natural and organic and and if you're thinking about it the whole time you're constantly putting an obstacle in the way of that so and then even thinking about that obstacle kind of messed me up a little bit so yeah do you ever judge people with the way they interpret your lyrics because for me like sometimes people are judgmental about maybe a certain play Mm -hmm. that i make Yeah, yeah, yeah and i'm like well that's what I was told to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You're totally. wrong. You're wrong. So like, <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering yeah, yeah. If you're like, I'm, I'm, I assume you're not like on Twitter no, no, checking no. every comment or on, on a Reddit message board, uh, <laughs> reading stuff about you. But I mean, in terms of like, I, th- I think when we had coffee, actually, I said something about one of the songs and I was like, I feel like that's not what the song was meant for, really? <laughs> you know, but, yeah, um, but- I, I, I don't know. Cause I, I feel like you're sort of making, you're obviously writing, you're making this song, you're making this music. And then I guess there's a sort of like an element of like letting go mm-hmm. and just being like, okay, it's out there and now yeah, it's yeah. going to be interpreted however it's going to be interpreted. And 100%. I, I've lost control of that. Yeah. 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 No, like one of my favorite things to do, and I've gotten much better at it now, is when a song comes out, I just don't look at anything. I, I don't check any feedback because it's like, I'm just proud of it. It's like, if you're proud of it, it just doesn't matter. It's not necessarily a given because I know it, like, I'm sure it can be hard if you kind of go online and see people like giving feedback, but it, it's, I just think it's so easy to identify it. You know what I mean? It's people who are just having a go because they feel like it. And because... Plus, like, there's a huge sort of tendency that people have to just, if something's doing well, they just feel like kind of slagging it, which is, I just think that happens all the time, which is fine. But yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, my favorite thing to do is to just leave it alone and, and to not think about things. Like, yeah, if I think about artists like like Damien Rice and even stuff like that, like our job is to create. And I know like in this day and age, there's all these different things like social media and and you got to like go and do promo and do all these different things. But at the root of it, like our job is to like, when we're done, be like, here's everything I made. Like, this is my contribution to art at large. And I was this artist in, in the lineage of everything. And, uh, and if it's not good, then it just doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's like, and so much comes into that because obviously that's, it's not that simple. And so there's times where you kind of, 
you do have to sort of play it a certain way because you know you're supposed to because it is a career also and uh yeah i just i i <laughs> sometimes i wish i existed like 100 years ago and like just like and and you were just you didn't even plug in your guitar you just played and it was just all about the songs i wish it was like mega simple sometimes sure sure i get that i feel the same way it, when i get to the core of why i play basketball yeah it is literally seeing the ball go through the hoop there yeah, was course. something yeah. that from when i was eight years old to now at 35 like that is what keeps drawing me back yeah. it's like that repetitive thing of like it's somewhat isolated i mm. guess is shooting a basketball right yeah. and it's it's what sort of brings me joy is like it's like a little drug every time that ball goes through the hoop and it keeps bringing me back and it's so pure and it's so simple right and then you know you make a career of it and mm -hmm. it's not pure at all yeah and it's not simple at all yeah and like and no one gives a fuck <laughs> yeah because like because they think you just like you're so lucky to do what you do which I which guess, i am which you which are but like for sure but it just it's not without its difficulties you know yeah. Yeah, I think about that quite a bit with athletes because I went back to go to the Brits Awards a couple of weeks ago and Daniel Sturridge and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain were there from the Premiership and they were like making an appearance and presenting an award. And I was like, why are they here? Like, not in a bad way. I know they're celebrities, but it's like, same as you. Like when they were kids, like you can imagine that, like that fire was lit when they were kids because like that feeling of when you put the ball on the net and like... And it's like, they have to come here now and pretend to care about breakthrough artists and blah. It's mad. I just, it's yeah. so far removed, so far. But then everyone will be like, oh yeah, well, they get well paid. They have a perfect life. Like they don't get to complain. Yeah. I saw it with the freaking Russell Westbrook thing, like last week or whenever. He just like, it, it, there's such a tiny amount of complaining he's allowed to do, you know? It's awful. Right. We talk about this, we meaning guys on my team and i've talked about this a ton of guys in the league you know it's a constant conversation on like buses and airplanes right is whenever something like the russell westbrook thing happens yeah you know it's like the the knee-jerk response for a lot of people is like oh well he gets paid x amount of dollars yeah, yeah. so he needs to shut up and just yeah. like deal with it yeah, yeah and it's like I don't know, man. It's so dehumanizing. It's it horrible. so dehumanizing. Oh, man. Yeah. And like, I, I don't want to, on my last podcast, we talked about, uh, my guest was uh, Chris Paul. Uh -huh. But, um, you know, we sort of talked about this notion of isolation and just like, you know, athletes being sort of unhappy and having anxiety just, you know, because of all the other stuff, yeah. you know, that we have to deal with. And, um, and I'm not on Twitter, so I don't know what the response was. Yeah. But, you know, I would assume there's a large, every time I sort of talk about this, there's a large, you know, portion of people who would just say like dude shut up you know your life's great and yeah. that's fine that's that's a perception yeah 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 yeah. you're playing you're playing coachella next month correct yes yeah and you've done a few festivals last year you did acl and south by uh just south by in texas we played lollapalooza up in chicago as well lollapalooza, um, okay yeah we, did we you, actually, have you done bonnaroo we did bonnaroo two years ago okay um yeah that was a funny one but um <laughs> Yeah. Why did you do shrimps? No, we, uh, we... I feel like there's a lot of drugs there. Yeah, that was like my first American festival experience. And we kind of came in, did it. And like, we only had a small van with everything packed into it, like an actual like six-seater van. And that was our whole festival rig. And uh, we were beside Chance the Rapper and he had 10 big trucks. But uh, 
it was so much fun, but we had this, it's like a funny little story. We, so we were on in-ear monitors when we were playing and we didn't have our own guy working them. And so halfway through one of the songs I was playing Boston and something wasn't working. And the guy from the festival came over the system to talk to the front of house guy and they had a full conversation in my ears while I was trying to sing the song. And um, and so, and they were like shouting at each other because something was wrong. And he was too far away for me to tell him he was talking. But basically his, yeah, his like voice was just ringing through my ears while I was trying to remember my own lyrics and stuff. It was so strange. But yeah, last year we played, uh, we played Mopop in Detroit. We played Lollapalooza. We played a good few festivals here last year. I think we're, I think Coachella might be the only festival we do in the US this year in the name of kind of holding off for next year but sure yeah. what what is that experience like versus playing it <clears throat> um like a normal music venue i would assume it's different but it's also sort of uh in terms of building up a fan base like it's a it's important amazing opportunity for you know thousands of people to see that maybe wouldn't get to see you otherwise of course yeah 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 and yeah and they don't have a choice because you're like blaring <laughs> out of a tent yeah it's like it's really good. It, it, I guess it's kind of exciting because you just don't know what you're going to get. Like if you're playing in a headline venue where a bunch of people have bought tickets, you know they're on your side already and it's just a lovely thing. But yeah, at a festival, you can have a gig that's like sometimes slightly underwhelming, maybe if it's like not the way you thought it would be, but then it can be a total jackpot. Like we played at 11 a.m. in Belgium at rock Verkter and like 15 minutes before I went on there was this big warehouse and there was nobody there and I was like this is gonna be so bad we sound checked for like six people who were already there and then we just went off stage and came back on for the gig but there was like 12,000 people there um wow. and 12,000 yeah. people showed up in 15 minutes at 11 a.m right at 11 yeah because like I've gone to festivals in Ireland and like you don't roll out of your tent until like have to in the day so they're just kind of yeah they take care of themselves over there yeah this has been a really fun conversation um i should also mention that um we're recording this uh in my office in my apartment i finally moved in after four years um and you you're my first um podcast guest in my office well this is fantastic you look very comfortable on the couch (laughs) very comfortable Yeah. All right. Well, Dervit, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, best of luck to you and uh, can't wait to, to hear the full album. Nice, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to the JJ Reddick podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Dermot Kennedy. I will be back very soon with new podcast episodes. If you have any questions, comments, please hit up The Ringer on Twitter. I'll talk to you guys soon.